Okay, last Sunday we heard how God is not asking of us to try harder, but to love more. And how He is kind and He's tender-hearted, how He forgives us. And how we should do the same thing for each other. How we should be tender-hearted and kind and forgiving to each other. And we learn that knowing God only intellectually will cause fear in us. Because God is everywhere present. God knows everything. And God is absolutely just. There's no sin that will ever go unpunished. And that's scary. Unless we know God personally. Because then we know that He loves us sacrificially, that He cares for us, that He provides for us, and that He went so far to give His only Son to pay for the debt that we had with Him. That's a God who loves. That's a God who makes His enemies His sons. And that's a God who is gentle and patient with us. And that's our God. And God is good. And today we're going to talk a little bit about walking. As you might have noticed the theme there. And there's something about your walk that gives away something about you. It gives away where you're from, what you've experienced, what you've gone through. Maybe some of your walk is trained. Some people manage to train walking. Maybe soldiers would have a certain way of walking. But uh, I remember one time that we went on a family holiday. We were on the beach with uh, my parents and my siblings. And so my brother and I went on a stroll along the beach. And we came back. And my mom looks at me and she says... Watching you guys walk is like watching my dad and my father-in-law walk together. We'd never met those guys. My mom's dad passed away when she was eight. My dad's dad died before I was born, before they were married. But there was something in our DNA. There's, there's not, actually no video footage of my granddads, so I couldn't have learned to walk like they walk. But there's something in our DNA which was passed down to us that made it recognizable. And if you know my brother, you might not notice, but if you watch him closely, you'll find out he has a limp because he has an injury in his ankle, so he walks a bit different. And yet, still, you could see this resemblance. And I had my fair share of injuries and interesting things that happened and trends of walking. Like sometimes you walk like this, and then other times you walk like this. And yet, there's something about us that is deeper than even our own experience. And we'll be talking about walking in love and walking as children of light today. And do people around you recognize the love and the light of God that is in you, in your walk? I split today's passage in two um, bigger chunks. First chunk is from verse 1 to verse 6, and that's walking in love. And the second chunk is the rest, and that's from verse 7 to verse 14 walking as children of light. So Paul begins this passage here with therefore. And we always need to ask, what's the therefore therefore? So because of that, we'll have a, just a quick look at the last verse of chapter 4. And that's verse 32, and it says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So because God is kind, because God is tender-hearted, and because He's forgiving, we should be now imitators of God as beloved children. We learn in chapter 1, verse 5, that we are adopted. We became children of God. We became new creations. We kind of have His spiritual DNA in our lives now. And we should be reflecting that. And the only reason why we can love is because we are loved. People who've never experienced love don't know how to show love. 
And the more we look into the Bible, the more we understand and experience God's love, the more we can show it to others. The more natural it will be for us to show it to others. He loved us so much that he sent his only son to die in our place. And he loves you. And that's an essential truth for Christian life. That is the foundation of most of what we know. God loves you. And now that we know that we are loved, Paul says, now walk in love. How are we to imitate God? We are to walk in love. We know the saying, don't just talk the talk, walk the walk. Do, act, and live love. Unfortunately, the word love has lost its meaning nowadays. The motto, love is love, has made everything and nothing love. Love has become a feeling, an all-inclusive, all-accepting, kind of wishy-washy, nicely feeling for some people thing. If you speak up against me, you don't love me. Love is, the, uh, love is what I define love to be. Love has become all about me. Love is me-centered. So how are we to walk in love? By this definition, if you continue looking in here in verse 2, it says, Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I wonder if that's the definition of love that you would give somebody asked you. What is love? Love is about others. Love is about giving up my rights. Love is about laying down my own interests for the benefits of someone else. John 3.16, we heard it earlier, begins with the words, God so loved the world that he gave. Here we read, Christ loved us and he gave. Love is gloriously generous. So if you remember Ross, he used to say outrageously generous. Christ gave himself up for us. And you can study uh, Philippians 2 to see this, and it, it's just beautifully described there. And uh, feel free to do that. You might have to do that for the, what do you call it, house groups. And the amazing thing about love is, about Jesus' love, is nobody forced him to do anything. You can see in John 10, verse 17 and 18, that he freely gave his life. Nobody took it from him. He wanted to do it. He loved us, and he made a plan from the beginning of time to come and save us. And that plan included all the details that would happen. Jesus didn't come into this world with rose-tinted glasses. He gave himself as a fragrant offering. Christ gave himself as a fragrant offering. In the Old Testament, many times we'll read something about a pleasing aroma to God. And um, God, God was pleased with Jesus. In a way, if we can be so bold, we can say Jesus smelled good to God. And the thing I, I think about smell is when I come home from work and I can smell food already, and it smells good, I don't even need to see the food. I know this is evidence that it is good. There's something good coming from there. Christ gave himself as a sacrifice. Not only was there a lovely smell, but there's a sacrifice too. Um, Christ didn't just give something that smelled pleasant, but didn't have any sustenance. Or any substance, sorry. Substance, that's the word I was looking for. But he gave his own life. He died. He was killed in my place. Christ gave himself up for us. And that's not to be the hero of the story, but it's because he loves us. 
So here's a model for walking in love. Love is self-sacrificial. I give up my rights. I give up my life for the benefit of another. Mothers are exceptionally good at this, especially when the kids are really, really small, just newborns. They just drop everything and they don't care about themselves, it's all about the baby. And it's amazing. And what do they get back from this little creature? Screams, full nappies, every now and then a goo-goo, and that's it. And yet they give up their lives. They give up everything to be with this little child and to feed him and to look after him. Love is never focused on me. Christ gave the greatest example of that on the cross. When God himself died in the place of his enemy, imitate God as his beloved children. In verse 3 and 6, um, Paul has two lists of sinful lifestyles. He says we should be imitating God, but we should not be imitating the world. And these, both, both these lists are worldly, ungodly. And who are we to imitate? Who are we to follow? We are to follow Christ. So the first list that we find is in verse 3, and it's a list of sexual immorality. It's about sexuality. The church doesn't like talking about sex. The world can't stop talking about it. It's obsessed with it, and it's a buzzword. Who made humans, including their sexuality? God. So who knows what proper sexuality is? God. Only God. The world's messed up. The world has fallen. Let's not take our clues about value and definition from the world. But instead, let's get our information from God and His Word. Sexual, uh, the sexual immorality, here's a translation for porneia. We know that word porn. That's where it comes from. The second thing in the list is impurity. Purity is laughed at these days, even by Christians. Jesus died to cleanse us from our sin. The world is full of sin. And this particular impurity is listed most, uh, mostly next to all the other sexual sins. God wants us to be unstained. Impurity, purity starts in your mind. How many shows, TV shows, are built on innuendos? How many comedians would make it in the world if they didn't make jokes about sex? And not in the way that God intended it to be. A third sin that is listed here is covetousness. And we wouldn't necessarily lump that in with sexuality. What does it have to do with sex? It's about uh, uh, an always wanting more and never be happy with what I have. Greed can express itself in every area of life towards any object. And in most of the lists that we have in the New Testament about sins, greed is listed alongside the sexual sins. Greed is never satisfied. Greed always wants more. And if my sexuality is not informed by God, my thoughts become impure, I become greedy and I want to be satisfied. Greed is the opposite of love. Love gives, greed only takes, and is never satisfied. Paul goes on to say in verse 3, These must not even be named among you as is proper for saints. Paul encourages the believers, the saints, the holy ones, to live lives that look so different from the world 
that these sins aren't even being named in the same sentence as Christians. And especially not from the outside talking about sin, about the church. Unfortunately, Paul said it back then, and it's still true today, there is horrible sexual sin in the church. One big example that, was, that happened in the recent years is Ravi Zacharias, a big apologetics speaker known around the world for, the, for his defense of the faith, part of the church institution. And yet while he was preaching, teaching, writing books, he lived in wild sexual sin. He lived in sexual immorality, impurity, and greed, sexual greed. And it's right for us to get angry at things like that. It is not proper for saints to act like that. It's wrong. Christians shouldn't, the Christians and these things shouldn't be named in the same sentence unless we're talking about what God saved us from. We are saints. We are set apart. We are different. We are beloved children of God. We are new creations. You are saved. You are clean. Stay away from the dirt. We are to walk in love. Love is not selfish. Love is pure. Love is not greedy. In the second list we find in verse 4, let there be no filthiness, foolish talk, or crude joking. Paul is talking about words, another buzzword, definitions. We all use words because words have meanings. What we see at the moment is that people twist meanings of words, ban words, make up definitions for words. Where do we get our definitions for words? Where do we get our value from? It's the Bible. So the list starts with filthiness. Paul, Paul tells the believers that there should be no filthiness, nothing that they should be ashamed of among them. Everything they do and say should honor God and honor the others, their neighbor. God treats every person with dignity, and so should we. Foolish talk, basically it almost literally means brainless talking. Our conversations to each other should be edifying. And I don't think Paul says you can't have a laugh, you can't have banter. I don't think that. If you study the Bible, you actually find that Paul was very witty and Jesus was very, very witty. Very clever in the way they portrayed, uh, said things and stuff. But if all that ever comes out of my mouth is just gibberish and brainless and senseless talking, it's not edifying, it's not loving and it might be actually hurtful. Crude jokes, inappropriate jokes, suggestive jokes. We don't even really need to talk about it. We all know jokes that when we tell them, we know they aren't right, and we shouldn't be telling them. They aren't loving, and they might be hurtful and pointless. And about those things, Paul says, they are out of place for Christians, but instead, thanksgiving. Again, we're beloved children of God. Let's walk in love. We are God's representatives in this world. God is love, and it's not fitting for His children who carry His Spirit to say things that are shameful, stupid, and crude. Somebody said, Thanksgiving is the language of faith. I tried finding out who said it first, and I couldn't. But anyway, it's a good saying, and I believe it's true. Instead of talking empty rubbish, we should be thanking God, our Father, for who made us children 
though we were his enemies. God blessed us with many spiritual blessings. You can go back to the first three chapters of Ephesians, especially the first one, and you can read about all these blessings. He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings. He has redeemed us. He has forgiven us. He has adopted us. He gave us a promise of eternal life, of an, of an inheritance in eternal life, and many, many more things. And there are more than enough reasons to praise God and thank God all the time for His generously glorious grace, or gloriously generous grace, that He pours out on us in love. And we are called to walk in love as He does. And walking in love means building each other up. Walking in love means unity, care, selflessness, encouragement. Psalm 118 verse 1 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Verse 5 and 6 tell us why we shouldn't follow the world. Firstly, verse 5 says, the world, um, for, this, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is a sexual immoral or impure or who is covetousness, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Well, some people would take this word, verse to say, if you sin, if you struggle with this sin, you can't go to heaven. I don't believe that's what Paul is saying. Paul is telling us at the beginning of the chapter, be imitators of God. Now he contrasts this with the world. And he says, it's okay, we all struggle with this. But look at these people. Who does these things? Who lives in these ways? It's not God. It's not the, um, the way that we should be living. The people who do this have no hope. They have no inheritance in heaven. They have nothing eternal to show. Whose example should you follow? Should you follow the example of the people who live in the world and who have no inheritance in, in the kingdom of God? Or should you follow Christ? Why would you try and imitate those who have a different end to you? Who have a different goal to you? We know they're not going to heaven. They're not going to an eternity with God. They're still on this earth. And we are still on this earth to call them out of this into an, this glorious hope of eternity with God. Why would we do the things that God saved us from? Why would we do the sins that we want to go into the world and save people from? It doesn't make sense. In verse 6, we read, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And Paul references the second list here. Don't listen to empty words. Jesus' words are never empty. Jesus' words give life. God's word give li gives life and sustenance. But the world speaks only emptiness. And why would you listen to people who don't listen to God? To God who never lies, who never messes with you, who is good to you, who loves you. Why would you listen to those who disobey the one that you want to obey? Walking in love. Um, I believe we can, what we have learned so far is that God is our Father. We are His beloved children. And that's why we should be walking in love. Not following the world in, in its perverted view of love, but that we love, should love selflessly, just as demonstrated by Christ. And that we should be giving thanks to God for all that He has done, rather than copying the world and their empty talk. So we come into the, next, into the second part of this passage. 
walk as children of light. And that's from verse 7 to 14. And he says in verse 7, Therefore do not become partners with them. Again, a therefore. What's the therefore? Therefore, we need to look back a little bit. And the people that he's talking about here is people who aren't on the same path as you. We shouldn't follow them. We shouldn't be associated with the sins. That doesn't mean we don't associate with the people. We're not with the people. We know that Jesus was with the people. Jesus was with the worst of the worst, the people that we would turn our noses up to. We are in the world, but we're not of this world. We should be among them to share God's love for them, to share God's words with them. Be different because you are different. You are set apart. You are beloved of God. And Paul reminds them that once they were in the same place, but not anymore. They were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And darkness often is a synonym to evil. Darkness is scary. I don't know if you were ever afraid of the dark. When I was a kid, I was afraid of the dark. Even now, when I walk around in darkness, I'm a lot more conscious of my surroundings. I look around a lot more than I would if it's light. Darkness is scary because it's uncertain. Evil can hide and be undetected. Darkness gives room for, th for sin and it keeps justice away. And now we are not in darkness anymore, but we are in the light but we are the light in the Lord. Maybe that's the thing you want to highlight there, in the Lord. So we've spoken about in Christ, in Him, in the Lord, all these things in, in Ephesians. This is not, the light that we are is not our great enlightenment and, oh, my great wisdom. It's the Holy Spirit in us. It's God that is the light. Darkness and light don't mix. Light always defeats darkness. Darkness always flees light. And how can I do the same things as the children of darkness do if I'm a child of the light? Verse 8 says, walk as children of light. Earlier Paul was saying that we're beloved children of God, and now he calls us children of light. And God is called light multiple times in the Bible. So whose child are you? And let's have a little think about light. First, a contrast of light is darkness. We all know darkness these days because darkness gets dark a lot earlier. And um, yeah, we are, I'm happy that the lights on my car work. Very happy because if I was to drive at night without light, it would be very dark, very dangerous. Not just for me, but also for others. Light exposes danger in the darkness. Light exposes everything. Light gives life. I've actually done a search once and I tried to find out if there's any living organism that can live completely independent of light. And so far, there's none found. Light is life. And we can only become God's children if we have come into the light. He is the light, and He exposes everything in us and about us. And that's a scary thought when you think about it. I wouldn't want to, my whole life to be exposed in front of all of you, because it would be embarrassing. I would be very ashamed. But God exposes everything. God knows everything about you. 
And it is really, really scary unless you personally know God and you know He is good. And then it becomes a beautiful thing. It becomes a thing of grace. His exposing of my life, of every corner of my life, is grace. If he doesn't expose it, he wouldn't work on it. God wants us to be more like him. Verse 9 speaks about the light is fruitful and its fruit is good and right and true. There is no fruit without light. Light gives life. God is the one who grows fruit in the Christians. I can't grow fruit on my own. Jesus says about false teachers, by their fruit you will recognize them. And I believe it's true the opposite way around as well. Good teachers, you will recognize them by their fruit. And we all know the fruits of the Spirit, or maybe, maybe some of you know them. I've heard them so many times in a song in the car that they're ingrained in my brain, hopefully for the rest of my life. In Galatians 5, <laughs> it says, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And we can't bring that forth ourselves. It's from God. The fruit that will come by us walking in the light will be good. There will be nothing bad about it. It will be righteousness. Nothing that comes from the fruit that comes through the light is incriminating. It's bad. God says it's right. The fruit is true. And the letter of Ephesians speaks a lot about truth. Last week, Ian explained really well to us how heavy God sees truth and lies, how, how yeah, important it is to God. Our Father is the Father of truth. The Father of the world is the Father of lies. In verse 10, Paul says, And try to discern what is pleasing to God. We are to walk as children of God, because, oh, as children of light, because our Father is light. And at the same time, we are called to find out what He likes. And this can be a little homework again for the house groups. Do a little search of what God likes. It's a good search. <laughs> Here's a few things. I've got, I think, two, is it two? Yeah, two points here. Two things I want to point out. One of the things that I found, and it's quite interesting as well because we're talking about walking, is Hebrews 11 verse 5. And it's, it speaks there about Enoch. And it says, Enoch walked with the Lord, and then he wasn't. We don't know much about Enoch, but what we know is that he walked with the Lord. And we are called to walk in love, to walk as children of light. And God wants us to walk with him. God wants to walk with us. He wants to spend time with you. He wants us to be in step with him. He wants, uh, be, he wants to be walking with us because he loves us. And he loves all people in the world. He wants to walk with everyone. Do life with him. In the kitchen while you're cooking, speak to him. On the way to work, meditate on his words, his character. In the shower, sing to him. And when you go on a walk, praise God for all the beautiful things that he's made. For all his glorious generosity and grace in his creation. Another thing that God wants is 1 Samuel 15, 22, obedience. God says there, do I think I prefer do you think I prefer sacrifice over obedience? No, I want obedience. God doesn't want these grand gestures of sacrifice. The public worship where we present ourselves on the stage, probably more to people than to God oftentimes. 
but God wants humble obedience, day-to-day walking with Him, faithfully doing what He's asking us to do. He wants us to obey Him, to trust Him, not to produce our own ideas about how we should serve Him, how we should do this and that, but just to be faithful to Him. God is pleased with for those with those who walk in faith. And just two days ago, I was on, on the road, and I was listening to a podcast by Paul Tripp. And one of the lines that he spoke that said was, or some of the things he said was along the lines, if you don't, believe, if you don't live it, do you really believe it? If you don't live what you say you believe, do you really believe it? And the example he gave was Jonah. He said, when, when, Jonah, when Jonah was in the storm and the people asked him, who are you? And he says, well, I'm Jonah, I'm a Hebrew, I fear the Lord. And obviously he wasn't fearing the Lord because he was running away. He was being disobedient. If you don't live it, do you really believe it? And it was a really good reminder and challenge to me to where does my faith and my life agree and where does it not agree? Where do I need to be more obedient? Paul goes on to say in verse 11, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Paul warns the believers and us today not to take part in darkness. We are children of light. Darkness brings decay. Don't live in a place where you don't belong, where your spirit can't flourish the way God intended it to be. The works of darkness bring no fruit. Doing the things the way the world does them does not bring any eternal fruit, ever. Eternal fruit only comes from obedience to God. But instead, expose them. Light exposes. You can only see me because there's light here. If there was no light, you wouldn't be able to see me. As children of light, we will expose sin hiding in the dark. I don't know if some of you experienced it. My experience was quite a few times when you tell people you're a Christian, all of a sudden they start apologizing after they swear. That's, that's a way of exposing darkness. Or maybe some of the jokes won't be told because they kind of respect you. But that's not the only way how we should be exposing darkness. Jesus didn't just hang around with people and never say anything. He wasn't with prostitutes saying, yes, what you're doing is really good. I hope you keep safe and healthy. No, he wasn't. He was telling people where they were wrong and where, the Bible, where God says they were wrong. Sometimes it requires more than our presence. Oftentimes we need to speak. And we can speak with authority if we walk in the light. Not our own light, this light in Christ. And many Christians have made a difference in this world because they spoke up against sin, against the darkness. I think it was William Wilberforce who fought very strongly against um, slavery. Martin Luther King who fought against slavery. Today we can think of those who lovingly stand up against the mass genocide of little babies who are unborn. We can think of those who lovingly point out the decay of sexuality in this world. People who stand up against bullies in school, who fight for the rights of minorities, people who tirelessly work to save people from sex slavery. A lot of them are Christians. 
And they do it because they're children of light. Light exposes darkness. Light doesn't mix with darkness. Light always wins. Verse 12 and 13 say, For it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. But when any, anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Again, Paul is reminding them that many things that are happening outside in the world, the church shouldn't even need to, spoke, uh, need to talk about it. We don't need to talk about all the intricate details of every sin. We don't need to discuss them because we know that they're horrific. We know they're wrong. Some of them don't even need mentioning because they're so bad. And I'm not sure why Paul is speaking like this to the church, but it seems that people were obsessed with sin and were talking about sin. And the same thing can happen today. And sometimes, maybe there were believers, and I know today this happens, believers that took their freedom in Christ to dive into their lusts, into whatever they wanted to do. Boasting about, look, I am so free, all you prude people, all you legalistic people. You're so stupid, you're so old-fashioned. They were showing off the experience of freedom, but imitating the world and not God. Sometimes I know of myself, sometimes we get obsessed with evil. We dive deep into horrendous sins that people done, have done. And then we like to discuss the evil. We like to dwell on the evil. On these depraved minds and how could they only be so bad? How could they do this? And we obsess about the evil that they do instead of thanking God for what he has done for us. And looking at these people, these horrible people that have done these horrible things with the eyes that God looks at them. And he wants them out of there. He wants them saved. We don't need to discuss things going on in the darkness in the church from the pulpit. Because how many of you are here that do hor horrendous things? Like, like really, really, really bad sins in the eyes of the world. I don't think many of us will be here. I'm not going to name things because who knows what people have done in the past. But how many are here? And how are, we, how are we exposing anything if we're speaking about horrible sins here? Much more we should be exposing sin where it happens. Why? So that the people doing the sins are exposed to God's light and they get a, place, uh, they get a chance to repent. And we don't expose people for them to then, for us all to throw stones at them. There are sins that need to be punished by prison and by other things. And they, they need to, where, where that's needed, that needs to happen. But God wants even the worst of sinners to be saved. God wants their hearts exposed to light. And it's grace to be exposed to God, before God. Because He knows everything anyway. But we need to bear, be aware of the evil that is in our heart. Only what's visible can be repented of. God wants everyone to come to repentance. And verse 14, and I'm coming to the end, um, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. There's a debate on where this comes from. I don't know, but I will go with the um, idea that it's an old hymn. 
that the Christians used to sing. It's been lost. We don't know how to sing it, but it doesn't matter. And it's a call to wake up for those who are sleeping. It's an alarm clock. It's God's alarm clock. And what we can do with alarm clocks is we can snooze. Sometimes we just chuck them off the nightstand and they break, and we don't have to wake up. But it's God's alarm clock, and God is calling. God is calling those who aren't awake, who are still dead in their sins, to wake up, to come into the light, to have Christ shine on them. Christ loves you, and He wants to clean you. He wants you to become a child of God. He wants you to become a child of the light. Come out of the darkness. Don't be disobedient. We read earlier what the um, end is of those who are disobedient. There's wrath waiting for those who are disobedient. But it's also a call for us, for the believers, to come and let Christ shine on you. Let Him show you the areas that He still wants to work on. The areas that He wants to focus on. Being exposed before Christ is grace. Because He will work on the things that we let Him work on. And the more He works on us, the more we become like Him. And isn't He the one that we want to imitate? So let's come into the light and follow this call in, the, in, in this verse. So I'm going to quickly give some applications for today. We learned that we are to imitate God and to walk in love. Love like Christ loved. Selflessly, even self-sacrificially, He gave Himself up for us. So for today, give up your rights. Give up your claim on respect. Give up the claim on the things that you deserve. Show respect where you are not shown it. Love people with the love that they don't give you. And I'm not saying this about abusive relationship. If you're in an abusive relationship, it's not just keep your head down and be trod on. That's a different story. There need to be boundaries. But Jesus loved us when we were his enemies. He blessed when we cursed. He didn't fight for his rights. But he loved us and gave himself up for us. And the second application is imitate God, walk as children of light. Expose the darkness by the light of Christ in you. Don't be associated with sinful behavior, but expose it through your life and through your words, through a life that is different, a life that is holy, a life that is light. Call sinners to repentance in love. And the third application is come into the light. If you're a Christian, Come into the light and let Christ show and show, uh, shine on you and show you the areas He wants to continue working on. If you're not a Christian, come into the light and let Christ shine on you and save you and cleanse you. Amen. I'm just going to pray. Our Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you saved us. We thank you that we are your beloved children and we can learn from you what love is. We can learn from you what it is to be in the light. We praise you that you don't leave us in the darkness, but you pull us out of the darkness and put us in the kingdom of your Son, kingdom of light. Thank you that we can remember that today by taking communion. And we praise you for your goodness and your faithfulness to us. And please help us to walk as in love. Help us to love each other and love the world or the people in the world. And please help us to walk in light 
to be a light for each other and to be a light to those who are in darkness. Amen. Mm -hmm.